0: in this episode, we're talking with the cybernetics expert and philosopher Ian Glendinning about science, emergence, Robert Pirsig's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Ian McIlchrist's The Matter with Things, and the relationship and balance between science and what lies beyond. So thanks so much for listening and for tuning in, and enjoy the show! So we met originally through the Channel Mcgilchrist forums, and uh, I've always been impressed and very inspired by your comments there and your ideas, and also the innumerable emails we've been having back and forth over the last couple of months. Uh, I'm especially fascinated by my sense that you are somewhat of a, a mix of a rationalist, humanist, scientist, but you also have an open mind to that there is something beyond. And it also seems you have at least two thing, big things in common, which is... Robert Pierce's book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and Ian McGilchrist's The Matter uh, with Things, and uh, The Master and His Emissary. So thanks so much for taking the time, and welcome to the podcast.
1: That was great. Pleasure. Mm suggested we have a lot of things in common to talk about so
0: yeah i've been really looking forward to this you, one. you stay
1: in charge otherwise we'll be here forever
0: <laughs> yeah so um uh, i think mm. we, uh, we could start with just one of your blog posts recently about the new book about robert piercig uh and uh, his um, um the the collection of writings that has now come out so um if you could just say something about the book and and why you like it and why you what do you think about it now kind of a couple yes. of decades so- after the originals
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's, uh, it's a new book. It's just literally published this week, in fact. It might even be today, I think. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, so you, as you said in the introduction, we know about Persig's original Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Few people know about his follow-up book, Lila, which elaborates on his thinking. Uh, and this is Wendy, his widow, uh, about almost exact, again, almost exactly five years after his death, pulling together a collection of writings um, on quality, and it's quality is the subject of, um sending the art of motorcycle maintenance. Um, I started ironically when I read, as Wendy did when she actually put a preface in the book. She starts a little bit of Bob's own story, Robert Persig's story, um, and the original book is actually full of autobiographical content. It's a it's a it's a road journey, you know, a road movie type plot, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it is back flash flashbacks of of Percy's life but of course it carries this warning that um, it's it's a rhetorical book things have been changed for rhetorical purposes so you you don't know how much of it is real so there's been a running story alongside the book of how much of it is really Percy's life and how much of it is just his imagination Um, so I'm one of the people who spent quite a lot of time at least documenting the biography without actually writing and publishing one Uh, And Wendy puts about eight pages in the beginning of a book of just a potted history of Bob so that we all get it. And I I obviously, because of my interest in that, picked up on that when I first read the book, the on-quality book. Mm -hmm. Um, But in fact, that's just the first few pages. So the book is fundamentally on quality. And so it it just elaborates from those original two book writings, Mm -hmm. um, a collection of interviews that he did with... um, with the guys writing the guidebook, Design and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Santo and Steel, um, and with another guy called um, Dan Glover, who did, a, again, a similar book following on from Lila called Lila's Child. So Bob put a lot of contributions into those books, um, as well as his own writing. So a lot of the extracts are actually taken from those four sources. Mm-hmm. They're all Bob's words, but they're all taken from those four sources. Um, but what she's also done is added into that um he ended into correspondence with a lot of people so there's a lot of letters between him and other people so what she'd done is just taken his words out of lots of the letters as well so a whole section of letters and uh he also did again he was a bit of a recluse he only did about four or five actual talks on his subject up to external audiences in his life but he, he's got notes from those talks as well so again okay. some of the content is from those and finally of course some of the content is actually quotes from uh, you know Zen Buddhism from 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 uh, Tao Te Ching and and so on, um, mm. and other and other sources directly quotes from people as well. Um, yeah. So but, it covers the whole of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a late comer to to Robert piercing yeah. I have to admit, I, uh, as many other people have discovered, like they, I heard a lot about it in my early twenties, but then it was kind of this kind of the hippie Bible, as some people label it, and. Mm. Uh, mm. And I just never got to read it, and now I did it like 15 years later, yeah, well, and I'm, I, I'm just blown away by how deep it is with philosophy, and and uh, and his whole struggling with both his quality concept, kind of the um, as he's, I mean, in some ways he's he's alluding to this deeper into the book about like it has similarities to the good of Plato or or like the Buddha and like, it's this kind of hmm? this uh, <laughs> yep. thing he's striving towards, understanding and capturing, um, but also the whole idea of the, the, some people might say the science and the humanities, or as he called it, the romantic and the classical view, like this whole two, two worlds, but it's also two experiences of the world and also kind of, it, it's similar to the two brain hemispheres as well. So all of this was just mind blowing for me reading this and discovering it, so.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, and in many ways, although I, it's now um, 20-ish years for me. Um, I was a latecomer to it as well. So I, I missed it when I could have in my teens mm-hmm. as a student. Um, and I actually missed it again in the, it must have been, um, when was it, probably the late 80s when I was actually doing a master's degree. And it was actually on the reading list. Uh-huh. Because one of the very topical things in management at that time was the concept of excellence. And of course, quality management came in in, in a big way into industry. Um, and his his book is actually on that reading list I ne- one of the books i never read because i just never saw the point of it at the time yeah and how i came to read it you're absolutely right it, it's the it's this you've summarized it between the, the classic and romantic or left and right brainless and a lot of these things are like he uses the word quality but whether it's the Tao or the uh, the buddha or the good these are essentially synonymous as far as he's concerned because they're mm-hmm. actually rather de- deliberately hard to define things that's the point in fact there there yeah um in fact i i so i started my quest for the something missing i'm an engineer in in a sort of fairly objective mechanical world um and i was already in through the we started but probably started in the 80s but through the 90s I was already there's something missing here we're missing something but by sort of modeling and automating everything we're missing something mm-hmm. so I had that quest already before we got to the millennium and I started actively on it literally uh, the millennium um, and I hadn't read Robert Persig at that point and the, the reason I actually read him was because I saw two Nobel Prize winning physicists who were actually working in Cambridge at the time one of them was based at the Cavendish Brian Josephson just write an article together um which just mentioned zen buddhism and i thought sorry this is Nobel prize winning physicist talking about you know some interesting lessons from zen buddhism and i thought i just it just blew my mind in a way i just thought mm. what and that's when i just suddenly went oh, everything sort of unraveled i had to rush back and find that book with zen in the title what was it called again yeah um um
0: so j- yeah.
1: two of those people one of them Brian uh, that's I've mentioned Brian those Josephson and the other one is Henry Stapp who in fact I've met, took, written about more recently who's also pursued this much further in, in science maybe come back to him yeah.
0: later so just for for listeners who haven't read the book and this, mm. the word of the quality so yeah. I mean, mm. uh, one thing that fascinated me was when he he, uh, he describes so it's so in a sense precise his experience of how the brain hemispheres are working but he doesn't know Technically, that this is what happening. That's what happening. Yeah, this, this is my interpretation, though. But he he describes like the qual. As long as he keeps the quality idea in his right hemisphere, the kind of more of a holistic kind of perceiving mm-hmm. uh, mode of being, he he kind of knows what it is. But once he tries to define it, and then he moves it and into the left hemisphere, he destroys some of it. So that's it's a very precise yes. description of actually technically what is happening in the brain. Uh, but if if what is your um, short? Ex- Explanation or description of the quality idea that he's trying to, to reach for. So
1: he sees it as synonymous with a lot of these other ancient ideas. Um, and as you say, also this idea, as soon as you start to conceptualize and describe and define it, it disappears. You know, the tower that can be known is not the tower, and these exactly. are not new ideas, but he just uses the same expressions. Um, and in fact, he was deliberately um, uh, avoiding. This what he called the subject-object split, which is that instantly going into the the su- subjective stuff versus the objective model of the real world. Um, and in fact, what he goes in, he actually, by the time he gets to the second book, starts to talk about a so-called static and dynamic split. But what became dynamic quality and what was just plain quality in the first book, in fact, it's it's um, it's pure experience. It is just the act of experiencing. Mm um and it's the act of experiencing you know that you're socially conditioned by everything you already know so you know when you see something you're going to interpret it based on not just what you, I mean, you we were intelligent enough to understand that's how we are but the quality is just that experience you know the pre-conceptual experience just pure experience and again he knew he wasn't being entirely original his originality was in actually using the word quality and then building a fairly complex structure of metaphysics mm. around it which isn't actually elaborated in this latest book um yeah i think he but,
0: describes like the origin is something that when he's working as an academic yeah, at university with students and there's something about like there needs oh, to yeah. be quality in the in the papers they're writing and then somebody's like what does quality mean or something oh, like yes. that and then then suddenly he's kind of taken a bit aback, back like yeah, what is quality i know what it is but i can't describe it and then
1: yes exactly so he called this, this is the seed crystal idea so what he, he yeah so a lot of it is his own biography so yes he was a, a English school you know English teacher in school Um, and he was teaching you know essay writing and rhetoric and what have you and yes he he got to this point where he was struggling with his students to have them not come to him for a set of rules about you've asked us to write about this tell us you know tell us the rules of what's going to make it a good essay and he was obviously and he started a lot of non-prescriptive teaching where he, he just allowed them you know allowed them to do a work that would just be judged on quality by the people hearing it in the classroom and he no marks were assigned things so he was mm-hmm. quite radical at the time and uh, came into conflict with his uh, educational employers but um but yes exactly so and he was he was already thinking of these things but in but in but very much in that context of what makes a good piece of rhetoric what's a good essay for, for an English student to write and that's where it started and it, it it's been cast into this sea crystal where one of his colleagues, Sarah Vinke, in, um at the same institution, um, just in a throwaway remark said, I hope you're teaching quality. And that's when he just, yeah. like, ah, yeah. that's exactly what it is I'm looking for. And that's part of the, that's part of the story. So although it's not in the narrative of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a cross USA, you know, buddy road movie type thing. on It's on it, um, um, it part of the backstory that's woven into the narrative.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's already from the start of the book, you, you see how, just in my view again, how he is struggling with kind of the abstract immaterial world and the material world or kind of how he, he seems like a very strong analytical thinker. Like his left brain is really, really, yeah. kind of, he's, he has a good, good <laughs> engine or machine going there. That's right. Uh, but, but he, he tips over into the other, like already from the beginning, when he talks about, for example, um the existence of immaterial things uh, when he talks about the, the motorcycle uh, when he says it's really a miniature study of the art of rationality itself if you work on the motorcycle yes. um, working well caring is to become part of a process to achieve an inner peace of mind the motorcycle is primarily a mental phenomenon just one of countless okay. examples when he's trying to ex- express that like his love of the motorcycle and fixing it is it starts in his mind as an abstract construct in or reality in his mind first yep.
1: so yes he was a he was a mechanic had a very elaborate workshop he was a pretty meticulous mechanic himself so he was you know as you say very fine-tuned on on the physical world mm. but as you say he was what he was really saying is and it's it comes out in so many other areas of modeling the physical world is that um it starts in mind uh or least starts in much more uh less concrete uh, areas of certainly you know w- what does it do? So his first breakdown of the of the motorcycle, which is, carries on throughout the book, is is in terms of its functional components. What do the different things do? And then how do they get realized in material and connected together in such a way that they do actually work? Um, and you can maintain them. Uh, my particular, obviously, the motorcycle is front and center throughout the whole book. But one of my favorite parts in that story is that he, as part of just an after dinner conversation with people uh, in, in Bozeman, he 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 starts to talk to the guests about this assembly of just a self-assembly barbecue, which was being used by the host. And mm-hmm. he gets them to think about, okay, it looks like a set of instructions, you know, 10 lines on a piece of paper, but you need to get into the head of the person that was writing it and what did they think you were going to achieve with it and what's the barbecue meant to do? So it's quite a good elaboration of this. Yeah functional view of what the thing is meant to actually do versus the actual mechanical concrete uh, yeah. picture of the parts
0: yeah i mean he, he's tapping yeah. into this all the time you um you mm. have this idea also that any time uh just to kind of say aha moment for sometimes that anytime mm. you see any any letters writing in like uh, in a in the street or in a, on a building or something it mm. always originates in somebody's mind everything mm. always starts in the head of somebody who it in, mm. onto, onto the keyboard so it's just like the source of things are are more mm. like in the abstract again uh, unless you want to say that the brain is material and the thoughts are mechanically <laughs> movements mechanical Which is movement. where
1: this, uh, this is where this conversation does lead us of course is into exactly
0: fundamental questions yes. yeah <laughs> um, so but you have um Mm. But there's so many well as so I have more quotes that I love from the book, uh, He said uh, like mm. the Buddha, the Godhead resides quite, comf- quite as comfortably in the circuits of a digital computer or the gears of mm. a psychotransmission as he does at the top of a mountain or in the petals of a flower. Yep. Like, so that quote is something that immediately brings my thoughts to like medieval thinking, med- medieval theology. like the, the spiritual mm. is <laughs> a separate mm. uh, realm, but it's united so it's everywhere and it's mm. a bit like you think about math as well like the mathematical dimension is is everywhere um and, and it's oh. united but it's it's not it's not in <laughs> necessarily in the cup but it is united with, with like it permeates everything so
1: yeah in platonic sense it's something that's the essence of of mm. uh of things it is there whatever the thing is and the, it is much more abstract yes
0: yeah So one of the yeah. things that when i read it i thought that if like he's, uh, he's born into a scientific age. If he was born into a more spirit, if he was born into like next to the monasteries in the 1100s of France, mm-hmm. I think he could have been a monk easily. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Because he, he has also a huge um, talent, I would say, for trying to, to think in like both of these worlds. But I think the problem comes uh, very often from that he tries to unite it from the left hemisphere, from the logical side. And that this doesn't work, you have to do it. it certainly
1: starts at that side because, of course, his his um his his audience in a really his his travelling companions, John Sutherland. yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're living they're li- <laughs> they're living in they're living in a world where they're seeing the benefits of you know modern progress in terms of you know the latest motors. He's got the latest motorcycle and he's the latest technology at home and so on. Um, but he's not interested in understanding it. He just takes it for granted that it's clever Western technology that he can use. And, uh, so a lot of his, a lot of his, uh, thinking is really as a, is treating him as his audience, he's talking to them, explaining them how they need to understand what, what really goes into these things, what's behind them and yeah. how fundamental it is that it's, it's actually not, uh, it, it's the same, the same sort of thinking that's behind any kind of creative progress in, in, in history of uh, humanity, really.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, they also sometimes they they represent like John and and his wife represent in some sense like the, the general assumptions or the general response mm. uh, f- from the culture at the time or the society. Yeah, at absolutely, the time. Yes, so, yeah.
1: He he just he just personifies that That's
0: exactly. Right. So when yeah. he t- talks about. Um, well, they talk about ghosts in the beginning and then if they exist or not, because if you can mm. see them and touch them, that they don't exist. And then it talks about the law of gravity. Like, does that exist? And for how long mm. has that existed? Did law of gravity exist before the Big Bang, for example? Mm. So then <laughs> already there, you, your head might start spinning when you're reading it because yeah. it just, he it points, he it it kind of pushes those right little spots where you just have to... I mean, he, maybe what he's doing is that he goes to the to the limits of the the left hemisphere domain again, like the rational scientific domain, and he just shows yeah. at this point. Like, what, what do you, where do you go from here? So,
1: yeah. Well, of course, the other thing that we we've we you and I have touched on before is, of course, that the, he does he does, as you say, do it from the inside out, from the left out from from that perspective. Um, but of course, getting close to the edge to see what's on the other side is very much this, you know. Edge of madness kind of thing of course another Mm -hmm. one of the threads to the story is of course his own mental health Mm -hmm. um uh and the fact that um he was seen as mad because he was this person with a fairly clear job that was to get these students to pass these exams and so on but he was so tied up in the thinking of yes but what is good yeah. That he he was almost paralysed from doing what was a relative, what would appear to be a relatively straightforward day job, and that you know that was the period when he did in fact um, uh, yeah, inst- I mean, institutionalised.
0: Uh, I don't think it was helpful for him or healthy to be in in an institution and such a kind of institutionalised system of thinking. Uh, uh-huh. Given his nature, <laughs> I I think it
1: it um no, absolutely. A- amplified yeah. Yeah.
0: his i mean i think his yes, he calls hemisphere... it the church
1: of church of reason you know, yeah that, that and I think... there's this somehow edifice of of what knowledge is supposed to be and uh, yeah if and you think... stray outside its bounds you're, you're a that... heretic sort of thing yeah
0: yep. and i think that that yeah. made his left hemisphere become his enemy <laughs> because that that yes. it, it got too much control too much stimulus too much Kind of confirmation mm. from from day to day, but I mean, it's just the impact of the structure around you. If you're in an institution, it's, it could be massive, much more than we are aware of usually. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, well, and no, also, In fact, and a lot
1: of that, a lot of that is is still there, even though it might be invisible and taken for granted these days. Because a lot of this stuff becomes part of the infrastructure. So, you know, yeah. so these days oh, yeah. we don't think twice about the fact that we have this instant electronic communication and sharing yeah. space of all sorts of information. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there's and, a little
0: sidestepping, because like people talk about architecture, how much that enforces yeah. your left or your right hemisphere, yeah. because if you have straight lines everywhere, the, your left brain is super yeah. happy, but your right brain is, uh, it gets, uh, like,
1: yeah. you know, f- and as you've probably f- noticed, you know, architecture is definitely, I use systems thinking is the jargon I'm sort of using now, but I you know just architecture is the key word that I've been using all the way through as well, because it, it, yeah. it's about the shape of things. and topology as opposed to detail you know the arrangements of things the general shape of things not the architecture as in precisely what size the windows are and things like that but yeah you know, i the guess
0: that's to- uh you so i tend that to use
1: it- the word arch- and that's actually what if we're going to come on to McGillchrist next of course that's exactly why i latched onto to not yeah. just from the this picking up again on this classic romantic or left and right whatever metaphor you want to use yeah um you know, michael christ obviously brings this left and right metaphor into an actual reality actually this is not just a metaphor this is actually reflected in the way the brain works but again when he does it he's he's still avoiding this cortical fallacy that everything that matters is the hemispheres of the brain and it's not mm. what he's really saying is the way these two hemispheres talk to each other and to the other parts of the brain are, are, are what matters mm. and that's architect in my book that's architecture you know it's how yeah. these pieces are arranged relative to each other that matters. Well, uh,
0: absolutely. Uh, and I think it's almost like mm. we can marvel at the brain <laughs>
1: yes. architecture
0: again then, yes. because it yes. seems to be yes. way beyond our our level of, of technology, even if you
1: want to
0: use that language, like how it's constructed, how it's uniting yes. two different things. That Absolutely.
1: I mean, I'm taking you off track a bit here, but we're supposed to mm. just tell me when to stop it. Exactly. Yeah. That's why most of my excitement now is about, how this stuff gets reflected in systems architectures, because yeah. obviously for, you know, in recent years with uh, mechanization and automation and more and more computer systems automation and the dreaded word algorithms and, and what have you. Um,
0: like, it, it's a nice topic to shift to because I'm, um, uh, just a couple of, the two last quotes are from, from Piercy's book, okay, he yeah. talks about the, the divorce of art from technology is completely unnatural. It's just that it's gone on so long that you have to be an archaeologist <laughs> to find out where the two separated. Yes. Mm. Uh, rotisserie assembly is actually long lost branch of sculpture, so divorced from its roots mm. by centuries of intellectual wrong turns that just to associate the two sounds ludicrous. Uh, and then he also, later in the book, he, he talks about how he, um, he wants to unite these two worlds of the sci- uh, sciences and the arts. He uh, mm. says, what brought tears of recognition to my eyes was the discovery these unfinished edges match perfectly in a kind of harmony that both Phaedrus, that is kind of his ghost, his old personality that, that ended oh. up in the mental hospital <laughs> and Poincaré talked about. So here it is to produce a complete structure of thought capable of uniting the separate languages of science and art into one. So I, I took that as kind of one of his main ambitions and aspirations for his, his life work almost just yeah. to try to unite this and, uh,
1: yeah, well, you think of it the two the two cultures or, or however you yep. think of that but that, that, yeah, that, that, that div, div, division was in it was an artificial thing that, that happened out probably out of necessity in people actually doing practical things but it, it, the, a lot of it he shows as you say it's archaeology it's really in the etymology of various words but the three yeah. letters rta you know he has quite a long riff on that how mm. arts crafts and have uh, based around the same roots uh, and we yeah. we've, we've the, the fact that we've made them into two different things is the artificial thing that we've done uh, it's yeah. not it's it, not natural
0: you if you only go back to the latin science means a body of knowledge and Fine. art means the skill or the craft to do something so yes. so that has completely changed in our days how we see how we use these two terms yes yes so um uh, but yes also, science,
1: uh, has become, science has become the method rather than just the body of knowledge absolutely yes, yes yep. that's right Indeed. and that method gets applied to all sort every every uh whether it's government or, or, or business or whether it's whatever it is this yeah it becomes the uh the it's also kind it's of used. a uh
0: like it's not a filter but it becomes a, a bit of an obstacle if you read old ancient and medieval Writings, mm. because when they talk about arts and sciences, it's not the same. Mm. And it's it really the, the word this way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah.
0: But this this uniting thing is also. Um, I, I'm I'm going back to the 12 1200s and the universities when they had theology, mm. because theology was the queen of the sciences, and that was mm. uh, like the spiritual overarching yeah. structure that uh, embedded everything. And um, mm. and they would have thought like to try to make science the overall embedding thing would just not work would be the thinking at the time mm. so just as like a side comment that this has been thought and pondered many times before and they also developed like the whole of Dante's comedy is, is one example mm. of a complete cosmology integrating everything including mm. the sciences it's, it's like he sees an angel and kind of the divine light, but it goes down in an angle towards the surface and it goes up in the same angle, according to mathematics. Like it's, it's just, every page is, he fuses mm. things together and it feels natural. Like your brain is, is fine. Yes. With it.
1: So, you know, so I'm a fairly typical, you know, uh, scientist, rationalist, engineer, sort of ra- rationalist, atheist, you know, engineer. So that's me and, and nothing we're saying here changes that. Um, but at the same time uh, it'll it it's going to come up in the of space again mm. this idea that there are there's more to the natural world than is modelled in science is is really important uh, to, to to actually get back to this view that there's the unified world is more than science. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a nice place to move on to, to my Kirkcrest book. Uh, mm. I just, I had one quote from you that I saved here, right. which is exactly what you just said, that I, um, mm. without necessarily invoking God as a supernatural being, it seems yes. fine to recognize an ineffable, sacred, beyond science, but still natural. Beyond science, mm. but still natural. I just remember reading it and thinking, yeah, this mm. is how you can put it. This is a secular yeah rationalist description of something that yeah is fairly acceptable
1: yeah and the, and the, you know the, the language i'm using now even with these systems thinkers you know who are basic you know programmers in an it world you know, is that um uh you know I, I, two ways of saying the same thing it's either um, natural theology mm-hmm. or sacred naturalism you know so either of those is is a sort of portmanteau word for the for the what i think it is that we're now talking about mm-hmm.
0: Could you say Again, a little bit about those a... two terms, like just to explain very shortly what you mean? <laughs> Again, for the listeners. Well, in a way,
1: it... It, in a way, it's, it's just reflecting back the quote you've given to me, but just in a couple of words. So yes, yeah, so what I'm saying is that the, the world contains stuff that is entirely natural, doesn't involve having to posit any supernatural, omniscient, omnipotent sort of being mm. or agent, mm. um, which is which will remain mysterious to science, or certainly science as it is currently known. Um, but it's okay. It's still perfectly natural, and we could yeah. call it sacred. You know we're not we're not going to fall out over it if we're going to call it sacred. or yeah. even as you said, it would have been called theology. Just thinking about this would have been called theology. Um, yeah. so there's a, there are uh, you know there are organizations who would brand themselves using those those two terms, you know natural theology or sacred naturalism. Yeah.
0: um and I'm happy
1: to subscribe to those.
0: Yeah, because
1: people like McGill, Christen, Saltons and others are actually now showing that yes, that's exactly how our minds work. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not just a a perception we get from all of these historical records. If you actually look inside a brain, that's how the brain works.
0: Yep, and it's something about again, like just looking at words and understanding. Old mm. and new definitions, because sometimes mm. what's seen as new now has been said before, but with words that we don't understand in the same way, yes. and then it becomes yeah. kind of blurred and kind of foggy for us. But mm. um, uh, just another sidestep, when people today say they're spiritual but not religious, that would make mm. no sense in the medieval times. They would have no understanding what you meant even. Because if you're spiritual, then you are. That's this, that would be the same
1: yes unless you ascribe um, to a
0: certain system of organized religion but like in general like you're uh,
1: yeah if you're if you're and open again, to something
0: I, beyond that is, that is there then then
1: yeah so i again i don't have a problem with the word religion i prefer i prefer to think of religion as from its again from its roots as you know that which binds us yeah, yeah. you know the, the things that we declare that we share in common so that we can get on with get on with life um yeah. so i'm happy with that obviously my my problem with my only problem with that is, as I say, I I, I just see any deposit this supernatural, omnipotent, omnipresent entity, mm. um, um, so and I, and have any dogma that's based around that. So that obviously, that's where I would reject. Yep. You know, organized religion to to use them
0: exactly. So um, so I thought when we start talking about McGilchrist now, I'm also curious mm. about like um what what you like your uh, impression of how science has added things to our knowledge and also this uh, the differences between let's say uh, the material and the spiritual and because it seems to me that the, there has been a concrete steps through the scientific thinking and language to acknowledging more of <laughs> that there is a limitation that there is something beyond uh, i i was listening to another talk that was that's kind of related to this which is about um, like immaterial forces or like the immaterial uh, agency, like just in a group that the group has an agency that is, that is there. It it has a nature. It has characteristics. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we know group psychology and how it works. And, and we can also engage in it and kind of have an influence on how this agency is working. But where the scientific, like thinking puts a line is that it's not uh, like it exists as a reality, as an, an agent, but it's not, conscious is not self-aware it doesn't have self-consciousness mm. and i thought that was just a helpful language to kind of separate uh, how to think about this because it it is obviously there And the kind of the spirit of a city is could be a thing that influences people yes. living there and well.
1: again that's why obviously why ian's book Ian Michael book has the title the matter with things because part of the problem is what do you treat as a thing? Hmm. Um, and it's actually, there are certainly lots of good thinking going on. In fact, that's exactly what I'm talking in this area about what I've been saying, systems thinking for short, but active mm-hmm. inference is the latest buzzword. But um, there are definitely people who would appear to be on the scientific, modern scientific side of this who are beginning to see um, descriptions of how things work that are exactly what you just described, which is this emergent thing. Mm-hmm is is more than the sum of its parts and actually has you know a life of its own whether it has an internal conscious life or not it has a life of its own and in fact that's what life is you know it's another one of those metaphors that's yes yes yes, that's exactly what life is
0: suddenly becomes semantics (laughs) well it depends how you define life then or
1: living exactly yeah yeah yeah. but yeah a definition of life yeah well we we can talk about definitions as well if you like that's another another long story but yes um Yes, things are not defined by their definitions, yes. Um, um, yeah, so again, the, the there is a lot of work happening uh, uh, in systems with free energy principle, Markov blankets, ergodicity, but basically mm-hmm. strong emergence as it used to be referred to, which was the idea that there are larger, in complex environments, there are larger objects that seem to materialise, mm-hmm. and you can talk about them as having properties of their own and having even causation of their own, But a reductionist scientist would say, ah, yes, but that's only the net result of all of these atoms and what have you down here creating that. So you get into these ridiculous positions of, you know, consciousness isn't real, free will isn't real. Um, You know, they're just epiphenomena um, that make us feel better. Um, And and I I consider those to be ridiculous positions.
0: Um, Yeah. But this is very, um, it's super interesting. mm, It's like, mm, if you, I'm just wondering if you, if you can't, I mean, this is the old Greek thinking, like that the the sum mm. is more than the, or like the whole is more than the sum of the parts. But if mm. you can't, if you can't p- predict the characteristics of of the sum of something yeah. from the parts, then you have a bit of it's not a scientific problem, but it's just like then it is something. Sure,
1: that yes. that you and can, science has a problem. In fact, you know, I. I been referring to as as a book with you know, science has a bug which in it is kind of excluding that kind of thinking um mm. it always comes back to this reductionist thing and it not surprisingly by excluding the subjective yeah. um science can't explain consciousness well
0: mm, yeah
1: well, that's no surprise you need to you need to make, recognize that the conscious is real just as real as the the upside the subjective is real just as real as the objective um, mm-hmm. and so, mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah, so so where is the science? Um, this is this is right at the kind of most <laughs> interesting part, I think, to 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 see how maybe a couple of years, uh, centuries of of s- the scientific kind of paradigm or like the the, mm-hmm. the era, uh, if it might be changing by like the nature of it might be changing kind of these decades, I don't know, fifty years or so. Uh, so yeah, developments. So if, you, if you can just talk more about that, that would be great.
1: Yes, so, um, well, this is really up-to-date stuff now. And Mm -hmm. and in fact, we're talking this relation to McGilchrist, and he does this from both um, sort of internal science, neuroscience, but also from a psychology external behavior and seeing the thinking through the behavior. Um, um, But it always leaves us with this problem of what is it that's doing the thinking you know what is it what is it that's making decisions around this behavior um and ian's very good at relating this to lots of different schools the kind of things that we've been talking about that some of this stuff is is in ancient culture it's in art it's in it's in psychology uh, even though it would be seen as completely remote from science i think most of what he says is true i think ian misses a trick in, in getting to the ultimate um explanation of how this is going to be resolved other than just accepting that this other space exists so ian still ends up essentially dualist in the sense that that he he does see the the Mm. model of the world that science builds and the reality as we perceive it in the right brain um and they talk to each other but they're still two different things i think in ian's model at the end which is good and there's a lot of stuff in there which which i'd seen before i saw it in ian's book Mm. um but Obviously, the, the the fantastic thing about Ian's book, particularly *The Matter with Things*, is that it's such a synthesis of a lot of stuff. So it just it's going to be a fantastic reference work for a lot of time to come. Oh yeah. Uh, even even if people have picked up bits and run with it already since. Um, but as a reference source, synthesis of so much previous research and his own research from his own time as a psychiatrist as well
0: um yeah i think it's one of the biggest books uh, of the century <laughs> i think yeah, and i also think if if you if you got aristotle or Dante mm. back or like in today i think they would mm. really look into mccillicris work and think like oh this yeah, is yeah, inter- yeah. this is moving the, the ball mm. forward here this is this is mm. new insights uh, even if things were expressed uh from like from, from the experience point of view in in the ancient world <laughs> uh, mm. there is something there's a concrete step forward, I would say, with McGillchrist's work. But it's also interesting mm. what you say that if it's if it is fundamentally a le- left hem. I mean, he is a scientist; like the whole book is mm. a scientific endeavor. So if he ends up with a what dualism- about McGillchrist, now, yeah, McGillchrist, yes. So that yeah, it, interesting. It, it ends up then with uh, that form of dualism would be the the left hemisphere's conclusion, even with a bit of humility that like it has limitations and it's shown mm. through its own workings its own yeah <laughs> it, it, it's he walks us rationally to the boundaries and and looks a little bit beyond and then he goes back again so he mm. so it's it's kind of a more humble left hemisphere but it's still that model would sound like that we still- yeah
1: right i think when we, when we set this up you, you originally phrased this as a question about you know just what are my favorite parts of mcgill and mm-hmm. in a way you know, part of it is the bit that we were already talking about which is essentially a systems architecture view of how it works. Yeah. Um, a lot of which I'd already been researching, and some of it was in his previous book, of course. Um, and so we had, and I, I my main finding reading those sections of Ian's book was we just had lots of the same sources. He, when I looked at all his references, they were like, Oh, I've read that and I've read that. So not surprisingly, we had an awful lot of similar views of how, how it came to be like that. But the, the most important part of Ian's book is the, the bit that's not what you just said, which is at the end, his culminating chapter is the sense of the sacred yeah. so I think mean, you could tell I've watched Ian give several talks since the book now about it you could tell this is the bit that still hits hardest with him is that he's a scientist he's written a scientific book yeah. but he put this chapter in at the end and now he's standing by that and answering that question to everybody you know what do you what did you mean by the sense of the sacred so so I've very goodly gone on yeah well it's just natural theology or sacred naturalism so i've kind of said yes i agree and moved on but he's clearly still wrestling with this and yeah. finding the language to talk to more people about it um as a scientist um
0: yeah i i think he said at uh, one in one interview that he well he's gotten feedback that some people say i wish you had left that chapter the last chapter seven twenty-seven 27 or 28 out yeah, because everything yeah. else is solid rational scientific but then the last chapter yeah. is a bit." beyond yeah. kind of is outside of the scope of the book or like that, that kind of yeah. uh, critique mm. uh, but i love some of these pages well he 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 goes through much of like theology again or ideas of sacred but what struck me was when he describes his own personal experience like going out in nature and and looking at the ocean and kind of the feeling of uniting with or kind of communing with nature and yep. just bad experience. I think that's very beautiful because I think it's something many people can relate to that yes, you might, yes. you lose yourself when you're alone in nature, but mm. you're still conscious, but you kind of, it's just, <laughs> just and you, you
1: understand it in a particular way by experiencing it, by being Ex- in it, being exactly. it. yeah. So you 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 know, you're experiencing it in a different way. You're not asking questions about, you know, Darwin and molecules. You're just in it, and yep. experiencing it and which is like, why of course it lines up so well with persig you know in this this pure experience idea yes. of being at the root of well in in persig's sense it's at the root of everything you know even the stuff we call physics is still at root
0: yeah this and, and, and maybe that creates the the mm. the, the internal <laughs> conflict or kind of battle again mm. because mm. that's most likely your right hemisphere being in in charge for a few moments and giving you an experience and then it's there
1: yes, and, and, Hmm. And that's the bit I find a little bit disingenuous in some of the today's pu- public scientists is that they will actually also talk in this kind of language in terms of awe looking at the night sky and awe when they're out in nature, and you know David hmm. Attenborough or whoever Brian Cox, whoever you know they will talk this way, but they will always treat it as something different from the serious stuff.
0: yeah
1: they will they will talk about it as being part of their motivation probably and and you know why why they're interested and inspired to do things. But they will never use it as part of what it what they see as their day job. Yeah. And I find that a little disingenuous. Whereas Ian is saying, no, actually, this is just as fundamental. It's different, mm. but it's it's
0: yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a blind spot for like the the, the first group you yes. mentioned. That yes. the, it, mm. but that's the left hemisphere again. It it just delineates. Yes. Yes. Like all well, science, yes. this and the other is something other and it's not part of what we're thinking about now. <laughs> so then, yeah. then it just yes. ends ends. Of not being seen even it's like it's not recognized yeah. then so um, yeah. yeah but I, I think it's kind of almost courageous by McGilchrist to to put that in and being
1: oh yeah you could you could tell, you could tell he was wrestling with it you know obviously the, the whole process of how the book came to be written and edited and the chapter ended up being in the book yeah. you know, he was advised to take it out before the book was published and all sorts of things, you know several rounds of that before he it went to Perspectiva for the actual publication.
0: Yeah, I think, it's uh, and a... obviously
1: since then, it's 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 the bit that keeps coming up in conversations, and it's clearly a lot of people have clustered around him now, yeah. coming at it very much from that side. Now he's he's got a lot of friends because they they are seeing that side of it, you know, whether it's um you know, um,
0: I think he mentioned to the the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Rowan mm.
1: Rowan Hawkins, uh, Rowan Williams, yeah, Rowan Williams, Williams. Yeah. Mm. um.
0: Mm. and ian had said that this is that that was the hardest clearly the hardest part of the book to write <laughs> and the archbishop yeah. just kind of silently smiled or something like that you're, you're trying to describe something that we've all been wrestling with for for millennia yes. yeah it's right yeah you don't say <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah um yeah. but I'm, I'm i'm curious now that um mm. Back to something a bit smaller, perhaps, and the, like the as mm. you said something like that there, there's a, maybe even a causality, like the, with, with mm. a high level. And then oh, yes, how yes. can you incorporate, like, is that being now incorporated in system design? I mean, I'm thinking maybe like just something like uh, the internet or something, and you create an internet service. And then if you get a certain amount of users, it starts having its own dynamics. And then is if, if that suddenly becoming a part of the planning and the modeling that you we know more about some of these forces that start appearing and then you treat it yeah although i would say you know
1: obviously for the majority the answer is no you know it isn't most people are not having this depth of thought about how these things are working so they're just accepting it and using it and discovering the sort of polarizing effects that happen through this natural algorithmic promotion and demotion of things that that based on people's interactions with them and Based on attention and things like this, and algorithms based around these, and obviously people get frustrated with them. They see that mm, you know it's doing things that we don't like, but it looks rationally the right thing to do. It looks like a rational algorithm, mm-hmm. but I don't like what it produces. So, I think most people are in that frustration mode, which is why I think today's announcement from. Sorry, we didn't want to bring yeah, current that's news bit. into that's it. Okay. But obviously the whole the whole Elon Musk thing. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's it's been a been big talk- day. <laughs> the, Elon, the Elon Musk stuff has been being talked about now for, for uh for several months, actually. You know, it's been mm. it's been on the cards for a while. So we've been talking about it and it's just put everything back into in, in the spotlight, which is yeah. how how social media manages itself or moderates, I mean, nobody wants to use the word censor. Yeah. But um how, how how it works is is Incredibly complex, and in fact, everything we've talked about is in it because it's just full of people applying their brains to what they see. So it's not surprisingly, it's as complicated as everything we've already been talking about. I
0: mean, but, they, um, they might have been struggling like a hundred years ago when you yeah. suddenly had um, like newspapers everywhere, or you yeah. suddenly have broadcasting, like just mm. radio. People think like, how is is radio? Uh, does that have an agency in itself? Like how, like mm. a radio show? I mean, mm. yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's like.
1: Whether yeah sorry, you- I said yes. I said no in a, but that, but that was the, like the majority answer. But the, the, but the key thing is, yes, there are people now who are yeah. actually analyzing the behavior of these emergent things, like you know this community yeah, of exactly. people in of that kind, or this community of people in that context, or whatever, and saying these things have lives of their own. Uh, and how you, how is that? Ref-
0: yeah, I'm trying mm. to. Uh, usually, I like to, to think more on the abstract, but like, just if you want to have mm. a group of people designing this maybe you need different kinds of people together who are thinking together who Mm -hmm. are kind of different brain hemisphere leanings and then you could Mm -hmm. somehow together (laughs) create a different kind of modeling Mm. for example i read about like ancient china i was (laughs) i started this week finally this uh, I Ching book the book of change and there's something Mm. about it describes how science like the old ancient chinese view of science is so different from how we look at it Mm. for example causality is not necessarily an and uh, essential, kind of uh, <laughs> like a requisite in in the ancient mm. view of it. It's it's more like there are many things that work in the same way. So uh, and maybe then you might say it's suggested by McIlrath that the much or some of the Chinese thinking at least is more right hemisphere based. What is they have the, the yin yang uh, different approach to thinking or like using your brain. Yeah. So. Um, just sounds like there's a potential for progress in a sense if it's like architecture and and systems can be modeled in in a different yeah. way
1: well again that's what I'm saying you know, this stuff is is happening uh, and one of the things I've been writing about recently is this um active inference lab, which is picking all of these ideas that i've been that I've listed off there about strong emergence of things with their own life and causality and in fact with internal perspective as well yeah. um which comes not just from McGilchrist, but from Psalms and Psalms and Friston, two of the people um, that I've also written about recently. Um, and the, the umbrella that they've picked on is active inference. I'm sure they've picked on it because it's AI, the same as artificial intelligence. So it's become mm-hmm. a bit of a buzzword, active inference. Um, you could pick any of these, but it's all about this system architecture view of how does a big complex system work? And interestingly, obviously cybernetics itself, you go right back to when it was originally coined. Well, if it goes back back to Kubernetes from, 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 from the Greeks, you know, from Plato originally, mm-hmm. um, which was about governance. And when he meant to talk about governance, he was talking about the populace being governed, you know, by its government and how that happened and where all of those things came from. When Wiener wrote his book in the 1940s around the AC conferences. That's what he meant as well when he talked about cybernetics. He meant governance in the in this more abstract sense of how the groups of people govern what they do. Mm-hmm. It only became cyber, you know, as in cybermen and, and automatons and, and sort of robotic sort of connotations because of people who were doing work with it in computers, obviously very shortly after that. Um, but cybernetics itself was always about how systems of people organise themselves. So not surprisingly, an awful lot of this stuff that's happening new on what appears to be a technology level, mm. is people who are like, like Elon Musk, yeah. motivated by a vision of how society itself should run. It's quite scary, actually. These are sort of um, well, idealists with some very strong, very then, strong views about these things. Yeah, the, but they have very enlightened views about how the system should do it. That's the important thing.
0: But you kind of both, well, yeah. um, in a few words, are you connecting it all the way to? Like the spiritual is primary. It's kind of the values in a person's head sometimes mm. who has the the, the influence yeah. to do things that mm. is shaping everything that, that goes below it down to mm. how the architect system architecture is, is yes, implemented. Yes. So um yeah that then you then you instantly have a, what should you call it the view. It's a, I wouldn't use spiritual, but it, then you then you have um you have united so many things. To, to, you, you, you pulled yep. pull the line there immediately, um, mm. which is very interesting. Uh, I also like if you. Uh, I like the part you said now with uh, if. If there are other things, um, just to describe them, how McGilchrist is suggesting how the brain should work is that we we experience things through the like the unfiltered through the right hemisphere is then going into the left brain, which then dissects it, puts it into bits, and builds a model. And then the model is supposed to be transferred back into the right hemisphere and then being united into a bigger understanding but then um the critique from McGill, because I would say often is that it stays in the left hemisphere and we just see the model and we don't integrate the model into anything else. Yeah. So we just get because stuck Most in of model. our
1: manipulation in the world is using yeah. that model. So exactly. it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's front and center. Most of the yep. stuff that we do is using and the model in the left brain.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, seductive also. And it gives a, a feeling of power and control and, <laughs> mm. and, uh, and uh, just certainty yeah. that we know everything. So, mm. um, if if some of like even the field you're talking about can be absorbed into something bigger then that's kind of at a higher level what's happened what should happen then in a healthy human brain just like at the bigger yes. level so that's sounds like a, a good like a, a progress that's a, that's a bit of a uh, complicated word in itself but but it's it sounds mm. like it's um uh, it can be an improvement
1: yeah absolutely yeah uh sorry i am just i am just some of you were talking about how it's all levels, how much yeah. is all being joined up by this thinking. And of course, the, the really scary thing, it's joined up here, there, but actually from there right down to below fundamental physics as well. So I mm. mean, the whole point of the stuff, as I say, Ian's done this. Ian McGill's modeling has mostly been about the system of the two hemispheres and the corpus callosum and the amygdala and one or two other midbrain components that that allow them to communicate and perform the sort of processing that you were just talking about mm. um supporting these two different models of the world um mark solms has taken carl friston's work and and, and done the set really focused on the the up, the other slice you know the from the hemispheres mm-hmm. through through the different midbrain components and how this process leads to you know consciousness and will and yeah and so on um and the bit that's confused well it's been spotted by a lot of people and rejected but in it, fact it's beginning people to realize actually this is very deliberate is and i don't think marx holmes himself because he's uh, essentially concerned with human brains and people isn't interested in fundamental physics but he's using a lot of work um, particularly around these emergent emergent objects using using information computation models that actually apply to everything in physics as well and um there are quite a few people myself included who have essentially an information-based metaphysics of how the whole world is built up and so really this same picture applies to multi systems i guess
0: this is one of the, the really mind bending things in making work if mm. this is this mm. like if how the brain works is also reflecting like an ontology at the deepest level like yeah. that you have two asymmetrical parts two asymmetrical mm. Uh, mm. natures that are working together um mm. in a sense it it makes sense like if you have two similar parts there's a limitation to what you can build for example but if you have two asymmetrical yeah. parts there's yeah. an in the in eternity of things you can you can exactly. build
1: it's just good system design you know and it's not yeah. surprising that it's evolved that way uh, if but you have it's... two parts that, that can do the same things you've wasted a whole sh- half of your resources exactly
0: you want- yeah. but it's a it's a really um this reminds me of like when you when when you first encounter the thought like what's outside of the universe when you're little oh. and you, your brain starts hurting a lot <laughs> then mm. this this topic is a little bit the same that the this the design of the brain emerges like evolutionary out of something much deeper like a fundamental structure of, of yeah, so and like that's
1: it. why this new new systems in development um lab is very much latched onto the same things because they're saying actually We've been, they've been working with AI and automation and, and ever more clever systems and applications, but they're saying actually the way the brain's evolved is in fact the best way to to build a system. Um, we couldn't do it any better other it's, than following the same model that's, that's, that's you, evolved in the brain. So
0: you have this thought that maybe the best model of the brain is the brain itself? But you, you well, again, end... of course,
1: the word here is model as well. Of course, this is the whole point of Solom's work is it's not a model, that is actually how it works. Yeah, that's we can put a model on a page in a textbook, um... but the description of how it works with processing information isn't just a model, that is how it works. Yep, that's really mind blowing.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, I I started thinking about this and uh, now we're off mm. to yet another topic but um mm. about c- cell uh, cell biology and uh mm. well like the little kind of nano machines within the cell like yeah, have yeah. this motor and, and all the other
1: propellers. yeah and like yeah. it's yep. so
0: and the coding uh mm. technology of dna like you have this like you have a, a certain amount of bits sort of in in the chromosome mm. but but then you can transpose different parts of it and then you get a new gene and it's yeah. just uh, but especially just like these little uh, machines that are transporting things, L- the shape of the molecules are are essential to like the, mm. and one is like shaped like a little rotor and and with a little f- kind of tail on it. And it spins like a hundred thousand. Yeah, that's a famous times. case,
1: the cilia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that also mm. really mm. kind of
0: stops you a little bit in Jackson, like how, like is. We try to make nanomachines machines ourselves, and then you suddenly look into one little cell on <laughs> on your arm, yeah. and then yeah. it's already there. It, it gives mm. a kind of a uh, humility again, like of like yeah, nature and the, yeah. and the, mm. how nature is being built. So, yeah. Um, yeah and in that sense, I mean, the, the, you can look at the brain as this kind of almost like clunky two-part fat blob <laughs> that mm. is doing some mm. trying to do some thinking, mm. <laughs> but when you look into it, there's so much more. Um, um, yeah, it's a fascinating thought that the way to create it, if you want to replicate the human intelligence, for example, mm. you will end up with another brain.
1: Mm.
0: So yeah, um, yeah, yep. and uh, yeah, as as James Willis said in the previous episode on the podcast, <laughs> if you want to make more human brains, we already know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, kind of a, yes. a, pun, a pun on the same idea. Um, yeah, um, but that really put. All mcgilchrist's work as well into much kind of much put it in both a bigger scale and also down mm. much to the more uh, yeah, more molecular or beyond beyond that, even. um do you have any if we're going to try to wrap it up slowly here. Um any other last thoughts about McGilchrist and his work or about science and where science is going? and um if we are? yes, it's a question
1: to- I've asked several times now is having decided that, know we've really confirmed it in this conversation that the 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 sense of the sacred is a really important part of an otherwise scientific book Mm. um is some of us who've gone through a lot of this thought process our own journeys of understanding these things are comfortable hearing it and relating Mm. it to how things really work but how do you talk to a typically science informed you know modern person who hasn't gone through a 20-year sort of learning process of, of all yeah, that that is a um, good question very and and we always end up going back to the doing rather than the teaching you know and people always end up going back to you know things like mindfulness and meditation and just participation in other things that's how people will learn these other things um but i always feel if we just keep doing it that way it will always become things Th- this separate spiritual stuff that happens here but isn't part of the real serious stuff here we'll always mm. have this thing between the serious rational stuff here and this other spiritual stuff which is very good for us we understand why it's good for us but it's not part of this um yeah that's so
0: a, it's a great question if you have to work on the environment like the cultural environment for example mm. if you have to start there or practically how how do you spend your day i think if you if you spend 15 hours a day coding Like at the very low level, like logic Mm. coding. I think Mm. it's hard to have a balanced view on Mm. because then the rest will become such a small part of your your daily experience that it becomes a smaller thing, perhaps. I'm not sure it's like
1: yes. But I mean Which is why I say I'm very encouraged by this particular group of developers at the Active Inference Lab Mm. who Mm. clearly have picked up on this much more enlightened model of of how minds really do work and are actually bringing that thinking systems thinking into their daily coding. So uh, be interesting to see if that is actually any success in that.
0: Exactly. And if that is successful, then you would automatically have a shift <laughs> because then if that proves yes. to be a more productive mm. approach, then, then that yeah. would be the preferred one. Suddenly or like increasingly.
1: And again, use the word shift. This is the other problem in a way is that there's obviously so, so long as science you know, is quite correctly seen as having, achieved an awful lot of progress, an awful mm. lot of value and progress for humans, um, there is tremendous resistance to in any way compromising science by saying, well, we just need you to change this bit or throw out those ideas. It, it, it's an it, this is what Kuhnian paradigms, you know, scientific revolutions was about, um, that uh, a lot of this stuff will probably happen in minority spaces before it ever really becomes mainstream and when it does flip, you know, switch to becoming actually, this this is now mainstream thinking. It will actually have quite big downsides as well as upsides, An awful lot of stuff will be damaged in the process. I think. Yeah. Quite um, like any well, revolution.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is century big movements, so mm-hmm. it's likely yeah. to take some some generations. I, I'm guessing. Yeah. Again, but who knows? Things are shifting. <laughs> I think, I think the minimum uh, amount of, of change uh is two years in both for your own like if if something changes in your life the third year it's become normal usually it depends like if it's very severe things but like normally a couple of years then you get used to something new and it's some sense that has all almost started to apply to the whole of of society and the culture because of the internet because Mm. it's there's, there's no lag in spreading a new thought or a new idea so Still, yeah, and this is one it. of the this is
1: one of the other tensions because of this huge decentralization of communications. Now, yeah. um, everybody has their own experience of this, and so as you say, at the individual level, mm. it, it's you know learning it, using it, and becoming second nature. Uh, you know, it's like you know, it's, you know, three years, three 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 publication cycles or whatever, mm. it, it's, uh, um, three updates to your favorite yeah, piece of software. Exactly, third time. Um, it's, like, it's normal, and it's like well, it's just part of the furniture now. It's, you use it, so but in fact. And that's because, of course, it has become very much decentralised to being personally organised. Um, of course, in the days of industrial revolutions driven by technology changes, it was much wider society needed to pick things up before individuals experienced the differences. Mm. Um, and you said 100 years, I tend to use 80 years, but basically it's, it's, it's nominally three generations. It's not three years, it's three human generations. You know. Mm. Um, you know one one to realize that there is something new you know two to actually exploit it and find it is useful in your life and a third one it's just part of the infrastructure you don't even notice it anymore so yeah. it's three generation in three generations That's I've, heard
0: I've heard something similar that whatever mm. happens after you're 30 years old becomes something new for you forever. It's, it's not a part of the normal it's, world that you grew up in. So. Yeah.
1: so so it's thirty years, like three thirties, or approximately exactly. three thirty. I say eighty yeah. years, you say hundred years. Yeah, it's, but it's that sort of cycle that has been repeating through history, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's being compromised now because we have this tension between stuff that happens at speed of light in terms yeah. of communications and this speed of churn of personally uh, configured systems um, yep. that we've got this massive tension between how long it takes to change society so that democracy still works next time around yeah. whilst we have all of these other clever things we can do at the local level and the, the gap has become huge and yeah. that's the bit we need to bridge with some of this uh later thinking yeah
0: and I think the positive potential is, is huge mm. to, oh, yeah. to, to stay on like to see the positive side of it. Um yeah. okay, so um yeah, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Do you have a, 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 any plugs at the end? Uh, you have a great website, a blog where people can follow your work and many yes, of these yes. topics, cyber cybertron. Cybertron. Is that, yeah, a, you, is you that can a post a link
1: a, when you
0: it? Yep, is that a pun on the Transformers uh, planet? Um
1: no, um, but it, but it's it's fundamental to uh, to the whole twenty year quest, which was realizing very early that it was about cybernetics, mm. but realizing that cybernetics cy yeah. um, by replacing it with p s y cybernetics was more about psychology and human behavior, ah, human interaction. That is nice. Psy, and the Tron. Because yeah. obviously, it's about all communications are electronic and all the automation is at the electronic yeah. level these days. So uh, it, was, it was a little bit of pun on about three things just stuck together in one word.
0: That's very nice. I didn't know that. Uh, and oh, I, mean, would... I
1: didn't really understand it as well as that when yeah. I did it, of course. It was just very rough, roughly by word association. But now I've come to realize mm. that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well. I,
0: yeah. I would really recommend anybody, everybody mm. <laughs> listening uh, to, yeah. to check the blog because it's such an interesting mix of yes uh of topics and also approach to it and uh, there's there's always something new there something kind of thought provoking mm-hmm. and uh
1: it actually happened in this conversation as well it, it's part of the problem is that i've realized a lot of this stuff is converging very fast and everything yeah. and new that comes along that appears enlightened is fitting like the next step of this model you know we've talked about these authors these three or four authors as we've gone yeah. through here and 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 it's not standing still. So I'm continuing to blog, um, and it ends up being fairly disorganized. As you say, it almost appears to jump from topic to topic. There's always a thread of how they're connected, but they appear to be quite different topics. And stopping to try and write this down in in some digestible form is is my project for now. So it's quite, quite tricky because things are, even as I'm writing about things, something new happens in that space. Yes.
0: No, but I think that's a that's a nice expression of the whole uh, yes, challenge yes. of doing these different things, because we might sense that as a coherence. But then, how to like balancing the humanities and sciences mm. are? It's a very tricky thing because of how we're shaped into thinking about science and humanities as two different modes mm. of of thinking. Mm. Almost so. Not to open a huge topic at the mm. end there, but but I would say that um, I struggled much more with this combination as kind of like like pushing two magnets towards each other it's like it just didn't fit but mm. after spending now over five years with um with dante's divine comedy and mm. going into his whole cosmology and how he mm. organizes everything and trains your brain to kind of just harmonize things has made it um, much more natural and easy so mm. it just mm. kind of it all goes into this for me that's become the overall model that works for everything it doesn't exclude anything yeah. it just takes it all in so that's um mm. That's one little tip if, if anybody's uh, curious about that yeah. as well um, okay well with that um, okay. thank you so much for taking the time this has been really fun and uh, thanks for listening everybody and see you again in another episode bye bye
1: right. thanks for you.